0: We're going to actually jump right into the scripture, and uh, if you want, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verse 24, and if not, um, you can read it on the screen here. So from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house but did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. If you're reading that, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. Okay, good. Okay, I'm not the only one. Um, have you ever heard of a hard saying of the Bible? Have you ever heard that phrase before? A hard saying is one of those passages that a skeptic might use against the Bible. Or um, that when we read it, we go, that's kind of a weird thing. Um, when, when Steve asked me to preach this week um, and I looked at the passages, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I have to explain this one. Um... But the cool thing is, actually, that these are placed there intentionally by God. There's no accidents in the Bible. And these are opportunities for us to dig into the Word, to study it, and come out with a deeper love and understanding with God. God doesn't mind us wrestling with Him, okay? It's okay. And we can uh, see that as we go in here. So I'd love to pray with you. Um, I I love that um, we've been covered in prayer so much today, and I just want to ask that again because... Uh, Lord God Thank you so much for this day Thank you for this opportunity um, And uh, I also pray A special blessing on Steve and Pam And pray that they have a great time And um, thank you for blessing them And uh, giving them this opportunity to rest And Lord we're going to talk about um, What seems like a hard passage But uh, it's just so cool how it turns out And um, we're also going to talk about something So foundational to, our, to us To faith, um, about faith And I pray that um, open our hearts, even if we've heard about faith a thousand times, that you'd open it fresh, and uh, if this is the first time that we're hearing about faith, that you would soften our hearts, Lord God. And so we love you, and we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to put you in the shoes of everyone um, in the story so you can see what they see. I think that's going to help. So the first thing that you should uh, get from this passage is that um, the disciples are tired. They uh, Back in Mark 6, Jesus promised them rest. And if you've been following along for the last few weeks, you know they probably didn't get very much of it. There's been a feeding. There's been all these miracles. There's been issues going on. They're tired. They just left, or not recently, they left um, the Pharisees, this battle with the Pharisees, where there was this debate about clean versus unclean. They have um, just heard that, you know, Simon and Peter, I'm uh, sorry, Andrew, Simon, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And now they found out he's been beheaded, that he's dead. And plus, Herod is now looking for them. So, it's pretty tricky to rest right now. And yet, here they are. Jesus has brought them to this, you know, I'm imagining like a little cabin, you know, in the middle of nowhere, a retreat, for them to finally rest. Um, You can imagine, in my head, I kind of play this out like a sitcom, you know, where they're finally just getting to sit down. Ah. Maybe they're expecting some quality time with Jesus. You know, this is going to be great. Oh, man, (sighs) finally, all that time. And then, "Ah!" you hear this woman shouting, screaming, wailing, saying, please help me. Now, if you were trying to rest and you just sat down, no matter how much you care, you're like, okay, I can do this. But not, this is, it goes one step further than this, because this wasn't just any woman. We read this, um, it calls her a Syrophoenician woman. We go, okay, I guess that, that's helpful, I guess, to know where she came from. Um, she's from the area. That's, where, that's around where they are. But Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite. Maybe now you're starting to see what they see. Um, Jews and Canaanites have a long history of hatred and bloodshed. For example, Queen Jezebel, she served along Ahab. She is famous for introducing Baal and Beelzebub, To Israel Not a very good thing Because Baal and Beelzebub Was famous for demanding child sacrifice And so when you hear about The valley of Hinnom You hear about hell in the Old Testament That's what it's talking about Is that that's where you bury those children That's where you sacrifice those children That's where unbelievers are going to go That's the worst place I can think of God is not pleased with this situation And so As you might imagine faithful Jews are going, well, yeah, Canaanites are awful. Syrophoenicians, even worse. I mean, they had, they're the birthplace of Jezebel. And so Pharisee, remember they left that, um, that time with uh, the Pharisees about clean versus unclean. Well, the word Pharisee even means to be separate, to stay away from unclean things. And in that previous conversation, when they were debating that, think about this. According to the Pharisees and the upbringing of the Jewish people, this woman epitomizes unclean, and unworthy of God's blessing. So, so just keep that in your mind. They're tired. Here's this woman, not just any woman, but this woman. But now let's flip that around and let's look at it from the woman's perspective. We don't know. Okay, so we, we saw that um, in the scripture, her woman had been suffering. I mean, sorry, her child had been suffering. We don't know how long. Uh, we don't know how long she's been trying. To, the mom's been trying to help. We don't know if she's... uh, Keep in mind, this is, you know, uh, first century. So they may have tried magicians. They may have tried doctors. They may have even tried idol sacrifices. Because it's really interesting to know that one other notable thing from this area is the regional god. Name is Eshman. And Eshman is the god of healing. So you could imagine there being a bit of, like irony or disappointment or like you know imagine if you know you have this pride in this team or this whatever and they they lose or they fail there's like ah. so this woman is coming out of a situation where her regional god the god that's got Phoenicia that you know fights for Phoenicia supposedly a god of healing has not come through for her daughter and so she hears about this Jewish rabbi now again to us, we're like, oh, Jewish rabbi, that sounds really cool. No, wait a second. To a Greek woman, a Jewish rabbi is like the most backwards thing you can think of. Think of like, you know, if, if I told you, hey, your daughter's, um, your daughter's suffering, what if you went to the middle of nowhere to this person who lives in a shack who says, you know, it's like, you're like, what? No, I'm not going to that person. I'm going to go to the doctor. And yet that's what this... Appear, this um, this woman thought of when she heard of a Jewish rabbi because they were the most backwards people you can imagine. They didn't even worship, they only worship one God and they didn't even worship any of the Roman gods, let alone. So they were actually, it's funny, they were uh, one of the first people to be called atheists because they were not followers of God. They didn't follow their gods. So anyway, so you can imagine this woman's like when we say, Oh, she came to a Jewish rabbi. Of course she did because it's Jesus. Yay, Jesus. But no, for her, this is like a thing. She's got a Oh gosh, I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know what she's thinking, but I am going to read between the lines a little bit. I hope you'll permit me. So the disciples are tired, angry that this woman is here. The woman is emotionally exhausted because she, um, has been traveling a distance and, Forever, or how long she has been uh, living with a suffering child, which would break anybody's heart, but she's obviously willing to do anything. The fact that she's here, now both sides are coming from a culture dictating how they should respond. Jesus finds himself in an emotionally charged situation where you got the disciples over here, you got the woman over here, and the disciples are begging her to send them away, begging him to send her away. Now, how does this play out? The woman surprises, I'm sure, the disciples by falling at his feet and calling him Lord and submitting to him. Matthew says she calls him Lord, the son of David. She begs him for help. Now, isn't that crazy? If you are thinking of that situation, think about for a moment how crazy this situation is right here. Now, obviously, God did not create this situation. He did not. Uh, the, the child's um, suffering was not caused by God. He didn't want it. But look at what happened. It brought the most unlikely person to the feet of the Jewish Messiah. So now that we feel all good about ourselves, let's talk about this part. So he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, could Jesus even say that today? I mean, that's that sounds crazy. okay? like throw it to the dogs. Um. Jesus calling her a dog sounds harsh and insulting and out of character. Let's trust him for a moment. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt for a moment and see what happens here. <clears throat> so obviously, yes, the Bible does use the word dog as an insult. For example, in uh, Psalm 22:16, it says, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. So, dogs is used as an insult there. And then Revelation 22 says, Outside of Jerusalem are the dogs and the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. But, although the word here used here is dog, the Greek, thank goodness for the Greek, the Greek form of this is actually a diminutive form, which means, it means a small dog. You're like, okay, so what? It means a pet. And so, Jewish people were not um, likely to have dogs as pets. But it was fairly common for Greek people to have uh, pets, especially if they were somewhat wealthy and had food to spare. And so, um, Jesus being the most brilliant person who's ever lived, I have to imagine that he chose his words carefully. Now, if you... Have a, you're sitting down to your food, you're passing out the uh, food to your children, and while you're doing that, the dog jumps up on the table. Right. No matter how much you love that dog, you're not going to be like, oh, enjoy. You know? You're going to be like, this isn't your food. Get out of here. Bad dog. And in the same way, Jesus was, in this very much more loving way than like, you know, shoot, get out of here, um, was saying that his ministry... What he came to do was for the Jewish people first That was his ministry and uh, Matthew says it was for the lost sheep of Israel and I had to throw out a whole bunch of pages here about um, this topic I would have loved to go on a rabbit trail on this and I Highly encourage you to check out what uh, the Bible says about the lost sheep of Israel. It's really fun. Um, it's a great research topic, but anyway Jesus was saying I am here for the Jewish people. That's what's meant in this phrase now, if this was truly an offensive statement to the, to the woman, don't you think she'd be like, or, you know, get out of here or something like that? But no, she's not offended. She keeps it going. She keeps this, uh, this analogy going. So what I can imagine her saying is, hmm, okay, yeah, you're right. If a dog jumped up on the table, you know, and stole the children's food, that's not cool. That's not right at all. However... Everyone who owns a pet, a dog, I know it's not very healthy these days, but um, everyone who's owned a pet, you know, and the dog comes up to the table and says, ooh, steak or something like that. You're like, all right, here you go, here you go. And obviously that's not the same for the pet, but it's out of love. The the um, the owners, the the you know family, has given that dog a scrap as an affectionate statement. And so this woman is not offended. She keeps it going and says... I just want a scrap of miracle. Just like the woman who believed that touching Jesus's, the, the tassels of Jesus' robe would be enough to heal her, and the centurion who believed that Jesus could command healing at a distance, this woman trusted that only a crumb of Jesus' power would be enough to heal her daughter. Now, remember, everybody has failed her, potentially. And yet, she sees this person, Jesus, as powerful enough that just a crumb would be enough. And so Jesus grants her request because of her submission and trust. In Matthew he says it was the great faith working in her. And so like the centurion, she went home believing it was done. That's pretty crazy. So we don't know how long the child suffered. It could have been a day, it could have been a month, it could have been since her birth, we don't know. We don't know how long the mother sought help, help. But I'm going to I'm going to kind of deviate from the story just a bit and say when you hear this story you might have two responses you could think praise god he's a healing god it's amazing he's reaching out to the gentiles and the jewish people he's here for everybody i love it yay our god is a healer he's amazing however some of you may be thinking about well that's cool i'm glad it's in the bible but what about me what about my situation? And maybe it's a situation you're going through right now. Maybe it's a situation, you know, way back when. And maybe it's a situation where this prayer wasn't answered that's made you tired of praying, bitter against God, hesitant to pray anymore. I don't know. But when we hear these praise God stories, we can think of our own situation. And I want to talk about that for a moment because when I've heard this passage, uh, people talk about this passage, I've heard people say, Oh, I'm sorry your back hurts or I'm sorry that your marriage is going through that or you know, something, something, something. You just need more faith. And then your prayer will be answered. And you hear that and you're like, you know, okay, I guess I'll try harder with faith or something. Um or I've seen it burn people out of the faith and be like, forget this. God needs, you know, that. I've heard that people say that a lack of faith was the reason that their prayers were not answered. And this passage is often cited in support of that kind of idea. But I actually I want to um, clarify this misconception. And for that, again, we're going to turn to the Greek. And so I want to talk about what uh, Jesus' hearers would have heard when they heard the word faith. It's the word pistis. And that word may not mean anything to you. It's Probably, you know, if there's a list of 20 words, every Christian should know. This is a fun one. Um, it's a business term. It's not, it's not a religious term, a spiritual term. It was a business term to tell you how trustworthy someone was. For example, to pay back a debt. If I'm going to lend you money, I'm not going to, you know, it's the difference between lending and giving somebody money. If I'm going to lend you money, I hope you're trustworthy to pay it back. And another way, if I asked you to recommend a doctor... You know, uh, and I say, do you do you enjoy your doctor? And you'd say, absolutely. I trust them with my life. Now, think about that phrase. I trust them with my life. Unless you just love to lie, that statement has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the doctor. Your great faith does not matter if you have incredible. Like I believe in this doctor. Okay, great. It tells me that the doctor is worthy of great faith. And so faith is not a reflection on you, it's on the object of your faith. You can have faith in all kinds of stuff that aren't worthy of your faith. So faith is not something we can create or make bigger on our own. Let that sink in. Next time someone says to you, you just need more faith. You can't manufacture faith. No matter how much more tightly you hang on to that rope as you're dangling off the cliff, it doesn't change the rope. Okay? No matter how much more you love your doctor, it's not going to make them a better doctor. And so it does not matter what you do. Faith is a gift from God. Jesus is mighty and powerful regardless of our faith in him. If everyone on earth went out and said, yeah, this God thing, you know, whatever, you think he'd be like, oh, he's not Santa Claus. He doesn't live off of our belief on him. Sorry if anybody... Um, yeah. um, but Jesus is powerful and is God regardless of our faith in him. Our faith is a gift from him. And so to um, a couple of uh, verses um, to support this. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, you've probably heard this one before, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not results of works, so that no one can boast. And then even more explicitly in Romans 12:3, it says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has given you a certain amount of faith. And Jesus in his own words said, we know this one, this is also cited in the, you just need more faith um, argument. Matthew said in Matthew 17, he said, Because of your little faith, because I say to you, if you have faith, the small grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will do it. So it didn't matter if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. What do you need more faith for? You can move a mountain with that faith. It's because our faith is in God and he is worthy of it. So our role is not to manufacture more faith, but to do and live the faith we've been given. doesn't matter if you've been given a tiny little bit of faith. doesn't matter. So like, for example, think of... Think of your favorite character in the Bible. Think of your favorite uh, Christian author or Christian story or your saint throughout the histories, even the stories in this room. Think of the persecuted church, whatever it is. Many of them were promised something that did not happen right away, or even at all, like they never saw fulfilled in their lifetime. That's the point. We don't need to see our faith come to fruition in our lifetime. We are to trust God regardless of the circumstances. That's our job. Now, there's uh, I'm going to go a tangent here. Um, I've heard these phrases, blind faith, and thank you, Esther, for bringing it up, uh, childlike faith. And I love that. So I've heard this phrase, blind faith. I will go on a limb here and say that is not in the Bible. Blind faith is not in the Bible. We do have our faith veiled. We can't see God right now. We can't always see what's coming. But blind faith is not what God wants. Otherwise, he wouldn't give us an entire Bible of examples. (laughs) Like, that's not blind faith. And if you look at how he talks to Israel over and over and over again, he says, look, I did this for you, this for you, this for you, this for you. You're going to turn away from me? I did this for you and this for you and this for you. Like it's not blind. You don't jump off the you don't jump off the cliff with an umbrella and say, Oh, if I just truly believe in this umbrella. No, it's not worthy of your faith. You don't take blind faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God gave us these brains, he wants us to use them. Now childlike faith. And Esther, this is from God because I did not have this written down, so I'm just gonna roll with it because God gave it to me a moment ago. But Childlike faith. We go childlike faith. So right. So I'm supposed to like, you know, learn. You know, like like children. Be like, ah, you know, I don't care. I'll just trust God. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Um, but I want to actually quote Mr. Rogers here. And uh, I know, right? Um, fun fact. Fun fact. Mr. Rogers was a seminary trained minister. If you didn't know that, it probably explains a lot, right? Now, people, uh, what he what frustrated him about children's programming was that he would see people be on TV and act lovingly and fun and all that kind of stuff and get off stage and be a jerk. And he hated that. Mr. Rogers was the same on camera and off camera. And you know why? Well, for many reasons, but one of the reasons that he would say is that kids can tell. Kids can smell fake. So when we think of childlike faith. I don't think God's telling us like to check out our brains or goof around and eat lots of sugar. I think he's telling us that when you see the real thing, you latch onto it. When a child sees their dad or their mom or somebody trustworthy, they, they, can, they can smell it. When they see somebody not trustworthy, they're like, I don't know about this thing. They can smell it. So, I, so thank you, Esther. Um, so that's what I want to say is that our faith is not blind it is childlike but again those aren't meant to be like so don't read the bible don't you know do uh don't live off of the evidence of god okay trust god another usage of the word pist uh pistis or faith is a warranty it's the likelihood that one would complete a contract and when we buy a car or appliance we certainly hope that if something happens we can trust the manufacturer yeah i know right Oh, man. Uh, We hope that we can trust the manufacturer to fix the issue. And similarly, our faith and hope are in the promises of God and that he's going to do what he's promised. Now, a warranty can be as amazing as you want, like lifetime warranty or bumper to bumper or whatever it is. But how good is a warranty if you never use it? I mean, we hope that our car never breaks down. We hope that our appliances don't break down. But if they do, we want them to. We want to be able to use those promises. Similarly, if you are just like, oh, Jesus has put so many promises and so many good things in his Bible, and that's it. You don't live them. You don't use them. You don't trust them. Because remember, peace is this like, you know, holding onto the rope thing, hanging by a thread thing, believing that that rope is going to hold you. If you're just living that, you know, if you're not living your faith, what good's the warranty? The car's never going to break down. If you keep the car in the driveway nothing's going to happen. So that's a safe place to put your faith, I guess. But is it really faith if you're never testing it out? So uh, we have to step out in faith and trust that God's going to do what he's promised. We have to test the warranty. God wants us to test it. That's what faith is. And so that's why this woman was commended for her great faith, her holding on to this faith. Now, if we're looking at God's warranty, we can also look at the warranty of the world and these promises look good on paper, right? We that's what marketing is. The definition of marketing, sorry to any marketers, but the definition of marketing is to get somebody to want this, to want to trust in this. And so I've heard things, you know, in commercials even, that you're in control, you deserve the best, it's all about you, and we can put our faith into those promises. It's all about me, well then, there you go. If, uh I'm in control, well then, I'll do this. And we can put faith in those promises. And when you do, you find out, that they're worthless. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe life's really good right now and so you're living out that promise, and it's doing great for you. But it's eventually going to not hold. Don't put your faith and trust in, all, in unworthy lies. Put your faith in the living and almighty God. We can trust him with our identity, our, our life, our salvation, to love him so much that we willingly hand over the control of our life to him. And let your will be done your kingdom come. God is a good father, the good shepherd, the trustworthy and faithful king. He's proved it so many times and he loves us and has our best interests at heart. And as Steve always says, he didn't bring us this far to kill us. Now back to the original question, does God always answer our prayers? Obviously, he answered the Syrophoenician woman's prayers. Obviously, he's answered so many prayers in the Bible. And he's answered so many prayers in this room. Does God hear my prayers? Is he answering my prayers? The answer is yes. The issue is, we want the answer to always be yes and right now. (laughs) So every parent knows that it's hard to disappoint your kid. You want to give them everything that they want, you know, on one hand, but... A good parent knows that you can't. We assume the best thing we would do would be to get what we want when we want it. And I have examples of pain and suffering and things that I have begged God for deliverance from. And and people have done all kinds of things for me to anoint me and to pray in the spirit. And I'm trying to think of all the Christian buzzwords I can think of right now. But, you know, they've done everything they can and I've done everything I can to pray that those things would stop. And they haven't. And yet, I can still trust God because those opportunities have been incredible places for me to learn who God is. It's easy to love God when things are going well, but you really learn to love God when things are tough and challenging. Sometimes, and I know this is a hard thing to hear because when I've heard it, it's a hard thing to hear, sometimes the most loving thing that God can say to us is no Or not right now. And we have to trust him. Even though we don't always get the answer to our prayers. We have to keep going. And the persecuted apostles. I say persecuted apostles. So lest you go like oh man my life is bad. Why can't it be like the apostles? Wait. Be careful what you wish for. We have to remember the persecuted apostles. Being murdered for their faith. Encouraged us to pray without ceasing. You think they prayed every once in a while for God to send deliverance and to stop the fighting and to stop the murdering of their brothers and sisters? And yet they said, pray without ceasing and to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Jesus is our example when he said to the Father before the cross, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much. Um, When you get the opportunity to teach, you learn far more than you um, than you know. And so, God, I thank you so much for giving me the words to say to this, um, these people. And uh, I pray that they will live out the faith and the promises that you've given us. They're so good. You're so amazing. And I praise you, Father, for everything you are and will do. In Jesus' name.